Hi, welcome to the Fast Life with Diabetes podcast. My name is Lucy Fisher. On this podcast, we'll discuss everything related to intermittent fasting and type 1 and type 2 diabetes. We'll share tips and tricks, and we'll reveal some of the challenges that we've all faced as we go through this journey. We'll also have some fascinating guests that will share their stories. Thanks so much for joining. It's going to be a great show. Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you that I am not a doctor. Before beginning an intermittent fasting protocol or making changes to your medication, I highly recommend that you speak to your doctor. Hi everyone, thank you so much for joining today. Today we have on a really special guest. His name is Dr. Michael Castagna. He is a doctor of pharmacy. He is the CEO of Mankind, and Mankind makes Afreza, which is the inhaled insulin. I did an episode on Afreza, episode number 25 on May 18th, 2022, so go back and give that a listen if you're curious about my initial impressions of Afreza. Long story short, I find Afreza to be life-changing, game-changing, and as I've spent more time using Afreza, I have found more use cases for it and find that I use it much more during my daily routine, even than I thought that I would. I just think it's a very useful, very predictable medication, and I find that it greatly improves my diabetes management. Also, I think that with intermittent fasting, it is extremely beneficial. It is a drug that is in and out of your system very quickly, no more than an hour and a half usually. So when I close my eating window, I can be assured that the Afreza is also out of my system when the eating window is closed. So I've effectively eliminated those post-closing your eating window lows, which I find to be very frustrating. I really don't like it when I close my eating window and then end up with a low and then have to, to treat it with food. So Afreza has really helped me cut back on that. In this interview, we talk about who Afreza is appropriate for. It's appropriate for type one and type two patients that use insulin, who it's not appropriate for, some trials that are going on, more information on inhaled insulin in general. It's a very comprehensive interview. We also talk about how you can get Afreza covered through your insurance, or if you're not insured, or if you're on Medicare. We discuss a lot of logistical issues as well. I think this episode is extremely informative, and if you are thinking about Afreza, definitely listen to this episode and also get in touch with Afreza Assist, which will be linked in the show notes to get you started. I can't recommend Afreza enough. I am not sponsored by them in any way. I'm just a patient who really appreciates the drug and has found it to be extremely helpful in managing my diabetes. So I hope this episode is useful and informative for you. Enjoy it. Hi, thank you so much for being here with me today. I really want to thank you for your time. This is a really important topic for me personally, and I can't wait for all the listeners of the podcast to hear a bit more about Afreza from you. Right. Well, thank you for having me today. Look forward to it. So before we get into this, and I'll just give a, a high level so that people listening can know where this, this is going, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the beginnings of inhaled insulin, mankind's part in it, and who Afreza is suitable for, how Afreza is used, and just the future of Afreza and, and, and how you can get on Afreza yourself if it's something that makes sense for you. So maybe you can just give us a little bit of background about yourself, how you came to Mankind, and then maybe a little bit of background about inhaled insulin. Sure. So um, my background's a pharmacist by training. I started in uh, Philadelphia area, I got the pharmacy school, and 
kind of building up my career through HIV. I spent my first decade of my, my life working in HIV in the 90s and 2000s and really started to drive innovation in healthcare. That's what got me motivated as a pharmacist was seeing patients pay so much in co-pays and out-of-pockets and not always getting the benefit of the products that they were, they were taking. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of energy of doctors just keep adding drugs, adding things to your life, making it more complex, but not making your life better. And, and therefore, whether it's the side effects of the drugs, it's the dread of refilling the prescriptions, it's the process of side effects, you know, all those things are not fun. And, um, and so I kind of, you know, worked on and got one of the HIV, HIV down the one pill once a day back in 04. And I remember back then saying, wow, people live with diabetes have a harder life. And, and you know, they had so many more drugs they had to take combinations. And that's only gotten worse in the last 15 years, not better, unfortunately. Um, and, and then I, I really do a lot of innovation throughout the industry. So I've done a lot of turnarounds and, and business innovation. So I tried bringing low-cost biologics to the U.S. 15 years ago before people even knew what biosimilars were. We were working on these things. And, and now you hear about them every single day. Well, uh, I took uh, worked with Amgen, and we brought Omnipod from diabetes over to Nulasta to help people live with oncology. So the, it's been making people's lives better through small innovations. Um, that's really what I love doing every day. And so when I, when I uh, had the opportunity to join Mankind, I came here in 2016, uh, for those who don't know about the history of insulin, um, it it started, uh, Mankind started in 1991, so uh, 31 years ago now, uh, with the technology that we dosed our first patient in 1998 um, and then spent the last, you know, 17 years after that trying to, to get a, a novel insulin to market. Uh, and so the, you know, the history of inhaled insulin goes back to Pfizer and Sanofi, back to Sanofi, back to Mankind. That's really been uh, the, the players, a lot of other people were trying in the early 2000s, uh, but gave up when uh, Pfizer had given up on Exuber back in 2006, 2007. A lot of people think that came off for safety reasons. It really came off for business reasons. It just didn't hit its launch potential. The device wasn't competitive. The pens were coming out. Um, and there was nothing, nothing novel about Exuber being inhaled versus injected. And so, you know, Pfizer walked away. Al Mann was our founder, and I'll talk about him in a second. But he put up a billion dollars of his own money to keep inhaled insulin going and developing. And without him, the company would have never survived. Inhaled insulin would not be here today. And so because of his passion, his dedication, his, his foresight, that's why we still have inhaled insulin available today for people with diabetes. Um, lots of people tried. They failed. It's very expensive. It's very difficult to make these products. And you know, when people talk about the price of insulin, I, I share the frustrations of the community out there in that I remember 95 dispensing insulin at $20 a vial over the counter. That same vial today is $350. And so what innovation was done on that vial in 30 years, right? So that's a lot of the frustration when it comes to drug pricing. In our case of inhaled insulin, we took a 100-year-old product and reinvented it, and it cost us $3 billion, 75 trials, and 20 years just to make a novel insulin. And we don't make any money on this insulin. We still lose money today. Um, and, and so there is always this debate in healthcare around innovation and patient access and affordability. And, and I share the concerns of the community when it comes to all those things. And, you know, we try to make sure, as we'll talk about later today, how we make sure Fresa is available to patients because I never want cost to be the reason somebody does not have access to our product. That, that to me is number one as a pharmacist that patients have access to, to care. Um, and, and so that, that's my intro to background of mankind was a uh, product had launched with Sanofi came back to mankind and we had to relaunch it ourselves. I came in to relaunch it and became CEO a year later of the company. And the company almost didn't survive. Um, it was a lot of financial trouble. It didn't take off. There wasn't a pipeline. 
And you kind of fast forward five years later and, you know, we've invested in a Fresa, we've got a pediatric trial, we're doing a, a pump uh, add-on and a pump switch trial. We're doing a lot of scientific innovation to really articulate how do you best use the product, what's the best way to use it, dose it, and we'll talk a lot about that today as well. Um, and so, you know, I don't foresee uh, any other inhaled insulins coming that are going to be meaningful in the next 10 years. I don't see any insulin innovation that's going to be meaningful in the next decade. And, and that's depressing for those listening, but also a reality of like, how do we use the tools we have today to best get the optimal outcomes for tomorrow? Right. And I think that's really my message is, yes, we have a lot of great technology, great pops, great CGM. Um, how do you best use all this to actually get your lifestyle the way you want it to be for you personally? And, you know, not every drug is perfect for every person. And, and I think that's important that people have to understand. Uh, and then a little bit of background on Al Mann and why we're here today is uh, Al Mann uh, passed away in, in 2016, ironically, on my daughter's birthday when I was making the decision to join the company. And he was 91 years old, but Al Mann uh, worked on satellites in the 50s for NASA. He helped build uh, insulin pumps and built Minimed, which became Medtronic. He sold that in, in, in the late 90s. Uh, he built a pacemaker, cochlear implant, some of the technology behind CGM. So when you think about a gentleman who started 17 companies, ultimately became a billionaire, uh, and his passion for helping patients and solving problems was number one. And one of the reasons that, you know, when you think about Al Man, where he was in 1999, uh, 2000, roughly when he sold Minimed, he, could, he knew that the insulin pump could not solve deficiencies of injectable insulin. And that's something we're going to talk about today is, um, you know, he knew that people's sugars were going up and down, but like you see in your CGM, like a ping pong ball, um, before we had CGM 20 years later, right? And so this is the stuff Al Man knew before the technology could catch up to him. And, and one of the reasons he wanted an inhaled insulin was the only way to truly get uh, almost an immediate real-time response is delivering an active monomeric insulin through the, through the blood. And there's only two ways to do that, an IV insulin or an inhaled insulin today. I don't see, unless you want a, an implantable pump, which I know the market's tried that over the years, that didn't work out. Um, there's really no way to get portal insulin into your body. And you think about your lungs, they're half the size of a tennis court. You breathe oxygen all day long. The insulin gets into your blood almost immediately, just like the oxygen. And that's really what the miracle of, of a Fresa is in terms of changing how we deliver insulin and changing how we interact with our food and our insulin intake and how we can control our sugars that much faster. And, and people don't realize, they say, when I inject my insulin, I, I ask doctors, patients, it doesn't matter. No one ever gets the question, right, is how fast does the insulin start working from the time you inject? And I've gotten almost immediate to five minutes to 10 minutes to one minute. The, the answer is about 30 to 45 minutes because the insulin's a hexamer. It has to break down, has to travel to the liver, depending if you're type 2 with a lot of adipose tissue or not, the angle of injection, the heat, your skin. Right? All these things drive malabsorption or inconsistent absorption in your body. Um, and then the insulin has to start working. And so then from then, it's another 30 to 45 minutes before it even kicks in. So when you inject, you're trying to predict 90 minutes out what you think is going to happen, and then it's in your body for four to six hours. So you know, no one, none of us are that perfect to know what I'm going to do in three hours from now rather than four to six hours from now. And this is why we've had this lack of a consistent population getting the goal who live with diabetes. Every day people are told they're failing, whether you're type 1 or type 2, because you're not at this goal that we've made at 7A1C. And it's very frustrating because 8 out of 10 people are not there. And, and that's really what our man set out for was, how do I deliver an insulin that can give you almost real-time control 
and get out of the way, then I create the hypoglycemia and on the tail of insulin, because that's what ultimately happens. Your food clears in two hours, and then your insulin's still kicking in 90 minutes later, and then you're going low, and then you're eating your way out of your low, and then you're going high, and you're just trying to always minimize this high and low phenomenon. And CGM just makes that that much more real because you can see it now. <laughs> Before you just test it every couple of hours. Now you can see almost five minutes what's going on. It's very frustrating for people. And it causes a lot more distress for patients, I say, as we talk about diabetes distress. So I'll stop there. I know it went a little bit too far, but uh, that's what Alman really set out for was changing the delivery, speed up the insulin to give people better self-control. And, and that's really what we stand for. That's a, that's a fantastic introduction. And, you know, as a type one, it's been nearly 25 years for me. I can speak to the fact that the timing really is the hardest part and especially with injected insulin and like you were saying you know there's variability with the injected insulin both in timing and how it absorbs a freza i find is just so predictable and we can get into this a little bit later with the the dosage the cartridges that you have but i just find it to be just with as complicated as diabetes is i find a freza to be the one thing that i can actually count on to be pretty consistent and I'll take that. That's 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 hard to find. So um, I appreciate all the work that you've done and all the work that Alman did before you. And I really can't sing the praises of Afreza enough. And I really want to get into who Afreza is appropriate for. We have both type one and type two listeners um, to this podcast. And just, you know, who is a suitable patient in terms of ages and under other, other underlying health conditions, et cetera. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Sure. So let me start with who it's not appropriate for, because I think that's easier for people listening. If you smoke, if you have asthma, um, COPD, probably not the right product for you, either because you have pro- you know, you know, compromised lungs, lung function, you know, we don't want to make that worse. Um, if you're generally healthy, if you smoked years ago, you're fine. There's no issues there. We've shown the even, you know, we've shown people still get the insulin levels, right, in terms of absorption. So that's when people say, oh, if I'm sick, what if I had COVID? We've had patients anecdotally got COVID, our own employees, they don't have Freza, got through it. If you've got a severe cold, sputum, you know, you can still take your Freza and stay on it. So there's a lot of misperceptions around that that I want to address. Um, but but that's the real population. So we said anyone that smokes COPD, asthma, probably not the right patient population. We're also only indicated for adults 18 and above. We are studying kids. We can talk about that in a minute. So, so if you're 18 and above and you don't have any of those contraindications, we're pretty much wide open for type 1 or type 2 glycemic control. So that, that's our indication at a high level. Um, when I think about uh, the marketplace, one of the things that we try to do in type two diabetes is really make it easy for them. Meaning uh, what we found is in our trials, it took doctors 12 weeks to titrate up to an ineffective dose. And if you think about a type two in 12, by the end of the study, they got the 36 units of a day, which on the equivalent of an inhale versus injectable is about six units a meal. So the average type two needs more than six units of an injectable meal. And that's where we know we didn't titrate up enough. So we've redone some of our recent studies where we really try to titrate a type 2 up very quickly. And we see they need about equivalent inhalable units of 16 to 20 units a meal. And so that's that's two cartridges. So two eights and 12 and a four, whatever you want to take to get to 20 units a meal, 16 units a meal. That's 16 the average 20 dose. units of a Freza, to be clear, not of injected. Yep, yep. Of, okay. of a Freza, clear. And, and so we saw that got about a 1.7 A1C reduction in 12 weeks and, and, you know, improved time and range, no improved, not, no significant risk of hypoglycemia. Um, and so that was some of the new data we're doing in type twos. And we've also taken type twos off injectable insulin and converted them at a higher dose. Meaning if you're on 
12 units of injectable, probably tried 16 or 20 of, of inhaled. And we saw that they improved their A1C in 12 weeks as well. So that's what we've learned on the type 2 market, which is we were severely underdosing them in our trials. And how do we get optimal dosing of inhaled versus injected? And, and so that, that work also paid off in type 1s. And so we did a trial uh, in the type 1 community where it's much more people want to fine-tune their dosing. And this is a big misperception of it only comes in 4, 8, and 12. Is this right for me? And that's, that gets into the misperception of I'm trying to dose a half unit of insulin or one unit of insulin. And when you really think about inhaled versus injected, they're not one-to-one. -one. Uh, you're changing route of administration. You're changing delivery mechanism. There, there's really nothing for uh, – we can give you a ballpark range, which is it's about 1.5 to 2. So if you were taking four units of injectable, realistically, you're going to need eight units of inhalable. If you're taking eight units of injectable, you're going to need 12 to 16 of inhalable. So, you know, th that's really set your mindset on my target conversion is roughly 2x. You may not want to do it on your first dose because you may want to see how a Fresa works for you individually as a type 1 versus uh, your injectable insulin and get a feel for it. Because I'll tell you right now, as you saw, in your first hour, you've never seen your sugars come down on injectable insulin. And on inhaled insulin, they're coming down the first hour and you're like, oh my God, am I going to go low? So I always tell people, you know, let your sugars go to 150, 180, take a four-unit cartridge and see what it does for you. Does it drop you 20 points? Does it drop you 30 points? Um, and that's going to give you some feeling and some comfort of, okay, well, if I took eight, I'll probably roughly double that glucose drop. Um, and that gives you some comfort. And in the first couple of days, first week, most type ones will get the feel for it themselves. And, and so uh, because you live with the disease every single day, you spend hundreds of thousands of minutes a day looking at your sugars a year. And, and, and so you know what's happening more than the doctor's ever going to tell you. Uh, and that's why I say type one's figured out about a week. Um, and, and, and that's that's the reality. Now, let me talk about how I see the marketplace today. So we developed a Fresa to be a full-time meal-time insulin, right? You switch off your injectable and you go to inhaled. Um, we've never done a study where you're counting carbs. So that I always tell people, like, what do you mean you don't count carbs? Well, it comes in three strands, 4, 8, 12. You just got to be close enough, small, medium, large meal. There's really not that much complexity. I've had doctors and nurse educators and diabetes educators say, you can't tell people that. I said, name me one study where we counted carbs and dosed our insulin. It didn't happen. Um, and, and so because that's all the complexities we make in diabetes, that how do we simplify a patient's life? I'm, I'm a smart person, I think. I've got lots of degrees and lots of education. I could never be good at counting carbs. And I can do math. And so I can't imagine how the average person struggles and how accurate is it that I put X amount of grams of sugar in my tea or my milk? And, you know, these are all estimates, right? And so that's the reality of a dose of insulin, a carb ratio, and insulin sensitivity. These are all estimates that are calculations on top of calculations. And all I can tell you is we're doing math on top of math that has errors. And, and so let's take a lot of that calculations out and make your life simple. You know, if you're going to take a small stack, take a four. And the beauty of a Fresa is we showed you in an hour, you could take another dose safely if your sugars are you know above 100, you're still you're still not where you want to be. You can take another dose in an hour, and not worry about stacking. That's really one of the big changes is that you're in control of your sugar and your insulin, as opposed to your insulin controlling you and you're trying to like eat your way through lows and highs. And and, and so I think that's a 180 mindset. That honestly, when you ask me later on why this is not taken off, it's because it's so disruptive from what we've been taught for 100 years that you almost have to stop everything you know about what you've been trained and rethink about it, right? And not think about insulin on board, but think about glucose on board. And how do I, how do I get rid of that glucose, right? By taking more present. Um, and people will say, oh, I feel like I'm building up a tolerance sometimes because I got to take more. 
And that's because your sugars are going from A1C of nine to a 6.5. You need more insulin to tackle that sugar burden. Um, and, and so that just means you're getting better control. That's natural. We see that in our trials. People titrate up over time as they learn how to get their A1Cs from eight, nine to five, sixes, and sevens. Um, and, and so don't worry about, am I taking too much or is it building up immunity? It's insulin. It works. It's always about getting the right dose, the right patient with the right meal. That's the magic of insulin. You just got to match it all up and it's very hard to do sometimes. So, um, so hopefully that's, that's a little bit about, you know, the type one versus type twos. The other area in type ones that we didn't anticipate, I'll just talk about quickly is, uh, we saw more in California where people are a little more progressive with pumps is they're adding a Fresno on top of their pump. Right. And, and so we, we know we're, we're doing that study now um, where we're going to show, you know, can you take the automated pumps and add a Fresno just for mealtime? Um, what does that look like? Can we switch you off your pump safely to Traceba a Fresno and get you detached from a pump? Most people live with a pump for 20 years and they're, they're afraid. That's like they're blanking, right? Like, hey, I don't want to get rid of this thing. Um, they've had their pump longer than their spouse and, and a better relationship. And, and so, you know, I, I think it's always hard. I always uh, took for granted that relationship that people have with the devices that they've been attached to them for so long. And for me, it's like, who would want to be attached to these things? But the reality is that's what got you to where you are today. It's got, it's kept you alive. It's gotten you uh, comfortable and you have the insulin on demand. And it's not always about having something attached. It's about being comfortable with what's working for you and, and change is difficult, and, and I understand that. So now we're trying to do some of the science to help support some of the things we see real-life patients doing, which is either switching pump holidays or pumpcations, we've heard a new term called recently, uh, or adding a phrase on top of the pump. But for me, it's all about how do you best use a set of tools to get the goals that you're trying to achieve as an individual. And, and so that's that's what we hope. We hope we continue to see people's lives, quality of life improve, and uh, their, their diabetes distress levels go down. They get back to being a yeah, I, I appreciate I appreciate what you're saying there. And uh, just to go back to a comment you said earlier about counting not counting carbs and how the insulin is absorbed into your system. I mean, those are some things that I had when I was starting a Frezza that I was worried about initially. And when I started taking a Frezza, I was worried that I was going to end up taking too much and then I would go low and how would it work with my pump? And you're right, it takes about a week before you sort of like dial in. And I've actually found over time, I rely a lot less on my pump and I rely a lot more on a Frezza. So as you're saying, you know, you're thinking about people getting off their pumps, which I thought would never in a million years be something I would consider. Um, I actually have found a way to use my pump and a Frezza effectively, but I can see a scenario where I actually don't need a pump because I, I use a Frezza for treating highs, even a high as low as if I can say it that way as like 150 or 160 I feel comfortable taking a four unit a Frezza because I know when I see that 150 160 a lot of times that ends up being 200 you know like yep. 10 15 minutes later so I know that when I tip put the Frezza in it's not going to end up being something that drops me low I was very cautious of a Frezza in in the oh. beginning but as I become more comfortable with it over time and you know I I I have relied a lot more on a Frezza for everything mealtime related. I love the fact that it's in and out in an hour. I often will take, you know, a four unit at the start of my meal. And then an hour later, I'm really comfortable taking another four unit or, you know, eight units, whatever I may need on the back end of that without stacking. Stacking is a persistent problem that type ones have. And that's what the number, I would say the number one cause of the roller coaster is the blood sugar roller coaster is that, you know, as, as a type one, you get so frustrated when you see a high blood sugar and you just want it to come down. And as you're saying, the injected insulin can take, you know, 30, 40, 50 minutes, whatever it is, 
to actually get into your system. So as you're seeing your blood sugar rise, you're becoming more and more frustrated. You're rage bolusing. You're, then you end up with a nasty low. Then you eat the whole kitchen and you end up with a nasty high. Afresa takes a lot of that guesswork out of the equation. And it's been, it's been really transformative for me. And I know that probably a lot of the other type ones that you get feedback from and type twos that are using it for mealtime. They don't have to go on those huge spikes after they eat. They can just keep it nice and level. And then their you know, pancreas, if, if their pancreas has some functioning left, kicks in and, and brings them down to a normal level after they've eaten. It's amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, you probably didn't notice I took a small unit as I sat here because I knew I was going to have this tea, and I was like 140, and I was like, took a four, see what happens if I were talking here. And then I dropped 20, 30 points in the last 30 minutes just sitting here, right? And so, you know, it's just having that comfort that you're not going to worry, right? I, I did a news interview once, and I was, I didn't have, at that time, I was pre-diabetic. Um, and I, I accidentally took a 12 unit cartridge on the news. <laughs> and so I was like, Oh boy. <laughs> and, uh, I had a Starbucks next to me. And I just downed the Starbucks. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to go low in 45 minutes, but we'll find out. Um, but you know, it gives you that comfort. And, you know, to your point, when you inhale, you know, I always tell people they'll see their sugars come down. I said, give it 30, 40 minutes. And at that point, if you're, you know, if you're 80, don't worry about it. But if you start hitting 60, yeah, obviously worry. Um, but, but, you know, if you're 80 and, 40 minutes, you're pretty much at the tail end of a Frezza and it's going to stop. Right. And I think people never like, they just feel like, Oh, I'm going to keep pushing down. And that's a lot of the learnings that you get in real life is, is you know, if you're at 180, you drop a hundred points in an hour. Um, that's not a bad thing. And, and that's just that kind of control that you can have staying between 70 and 180. Um, yeah. And actually I have a real life experience of, you know, a Frezza yesterday. So I was in, um, I was my Dexcom. I didn't realize this at the time, but my Dexcom was like wildly off. It was over a hundred points off. And so I was, you know, it was saying I was over 200. So I took an Afreza and then it, it kept going up. I was in like, a, you know, a supermarket and I couldn't check to see like where it actually was. And I was like, oh man, something must be really hitting me right now. So I took another hit of the four unit Afreza and then I got out of the supermarket and I was like, oh man, I'm not feeling good. And it's still saying I'm up in the two fifties and I do a finger stick and it's 70. And I was like, oh no. So now I have two Afrezas in and I was like really worried about going super low. And I just ate three glucose tabs and I was totally fine. I leveled out nice and even. It's just having a lot of that trust that Afreza is not going to just, at first when I started, I think I had some bad experiences with lows because I wasn't sure how to use the pump in conjunction with Afreza. But now that I totally yeah. understand how Afreza works, the, the lows from Afreza are not scary. They're actually like, if I've had them are very gentle lows. So. Yeah, and we showed our trial, I think it was less than like 10 minutes a day, people spent less than 70 or something, it, you know, it was half of what we saw with injectable and it wasn't that long and to your point, glucagon couldn't bring you back fast enough relative to how long did you live. You do bring up a good point I want, I want to highlight is I, a lot of people ask me, you know, are you going to do a two unit cartridge and I, I see what happens sometimes is people that use it on top of their pump, they're not using it as a full time meal time, they're using it because their, their sugars are going high and they're very frustrated. So they'll take, they're not sure if they got a pump occlusion. So they'll take a four unit of a Frezza or an eight unit and bring it down. But then an hour later, they're injectable and something from their pump kicked in. And all of a sudden they're going low and they're saying, oh, a Frezza made me go low. That's not, I mean, that, that's your injectable insulin kicking in two hours later. And people just have to understand, you know, really try not to do that, right? Because I think that's part of the frustration. I always tell people, you know, we looked at kids and said, look, if somebody's using one unit of meal of insulin, this may not be the right drug for you, right? Like there's very few people, but there are people who only need one unit per meal. Um, but that's, that's really, you know, if you're taking two or more units of meal, a four unit cartridge is going to be fine. Now, if you're using on top of your pump where, you know, you gave a bunch of injectable insulin and then you take a Frezza, then you are stacking the two insulin profiles. And that's hard to manage sometimes with people to your point, 
in the beginning you're learning and you may you may see those headaches happen. Um, and, and so we'll, we'll continue to watch and see. Uh, the kids actually needed more insulin than we thought. So, so we didn't move forward with the two-unit cartridge yet. Uh, but we've been struggling with the use case because our number one adverse event is lack of effect, meaning people didn't take enough insulin. And so our worry is if we bring out a two-unit, we're going to make that worse um, because people are so used to injectable, they don't realize that conversion and they underdose themselves. And, and that's really what we're trying to avoid with the Frez is you could be a little bit more aggressive and we're working with the FDA now to try to get some changes to our label to demonstrate that. And we're trying to figure out how do we get that first dose right for patients because uh, we know in our label we're underdosing patients, unfortunately. And, and uh, that, that's, that's the reality. So we're trying to get better at helping people understand. So it's about a two to one ratio over time. So yeah, that, that's a really important point. And actually thinking along those lines, when I first got my prescription for a Fresafield, I actually only ordered half of what I use now because I was, you know, I was thinking I would need a lot less, but I, and I use it so much more than I initially thought I would. I mean, really my Fias, which I use in my pump for my basal, you know, that's, I, I would say of all my daily insulin needs, maybe my Fiasp is 30, maybe 40% at the most of my insulin needs where, you know, obviously it was hundred percent before. So Afreza has yeah. really kicked in to take out a lot of the highs. Like if I have a high of like 120 or something, I usually do it with just the pump and just do like a, a slight nudge down. But any, anytime I get any kind of sense that there's, if there's any food in my system that's left or whatever, any kind of sense that this 120 is going to head to 140 or 150, I'm like on the Afreza immediately. <laughs> you got so many people envious that your high is 120. <laughs> yeah. I hear so many people 180 and everything else. So great. Keep, keep going. What else? What else? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I guess the, the question, the next question would be, so you have, and I want to I want to tie this back to type twos. I didn't know that you also are you are you still are you considered pre-diabetic or you're type two or? Um, I, I, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm a I'm a full-blown diabetic now, so <laughs> I'm a part of the club. Welcome. So I just I just got my A1C and I, I was watching it for a couple of years. I was bouncing five seven six three and it's uh I'm keeping it below seven. But yeah, no, I, I, unfortunately I'm there. So. Yeah, but, well, you know, uh, I'm going on diet and exercise. We'll see what happens. But uh, it's it's my five of family history. I didn't talk about that. But, you know, what got me into diabetes? My father, I, I didn't have a dad growing up. And when I found out who he was, he had passed away from complications of diabetes. He didn't take care of it. And you know, his, I found out he had seven kids and all of his kids have diabetes. So it's a family disease. So I knew at some point it was going to hit me. It wasn't a matter of if, but when. And so, you know, that that's what you try to control is how long do you have to live with the disease and, and then how do you best control it? Because he worked really hard. He had a lot of companies and he just didn't take care of himself. You know, it, it was a burden back in the seventies and eighties um, to take care of this disease. I think today with technology, none of us have, a, it, it takes work. It's not easy. I don't want to minimize it, but we can live a nice, healthy, long, normal life. And I think that's what people need to understand. Yeah. That's yeah. And well now it's, it's a personal interest to you and not just your job anymore. Yeah. So um, that's yeah. That, that makes you an even better CEO of this company as if you weren't already doing a good enough job. So, um, anyway, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, um, one of the, the, the focus of this podcast, as I was telling you earlier, and I did an episode earlier in the podcast about the reason I like a Frezza is because it's in and out. I mean, is it technically an hour or an hour and a half? Do you know the exact time range? Yeah. So it hits its peak effect in 30 to 45 minutes. So that's why I tell people in 30 to 45 minutes, if you're still going up at 45 minutes, you probably missed your right dose, mm -hmm. right? Because it's already hit its peak effect and now it's coming out of your system the next 20, 30 minutes. 
Um, so, so pretty much it's, it's 90 minutes in your body, 45 to 90, it's like, you know, four units going to last you 45 minutes, a, a 12 units going to last you about 90 minutes. So kind of think about it that way is, is, you know, they're almost linear four, eight, 12. Um, so that's why you think if, you know, if I could draw curves for you, you have a small snack, your sugars go like this. You want a fries that covers that. If you have a big meal, you want a little bit higher and a little bit longer. And if you have a really big meal, you're going to want to go longer, right? So I always tell people, if you really want to match injectable, just take, you know, 24 units of a present. You get the six-hour tail. You just got to take a lot more. So it, it's, it's, you don't want that tail of insulin, right? You want, you want it to be matching your food profile. And like all of us, right, you know, I, I, I take for granted. Um, I had a type 1 who was interviewing here, and he's getting ready to leave, and I see him doing something. Like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm getting my glucose tapped ready because I'm going to be sitting in traffic, and I know I'm going to go low. Like you got a three-hour ride to San Diego. He goes, yeah. I go, this is what you wouldn't be dealing with on a Fresa. And he goes home, and you know, I'm going to try. What do I got to lose? He tried it, and he goes, I didn't realize the effect my mood swings had on my wife. And I didn't realize when she goes shopping, you know, she's really suffering as much as I am because she's eating like me to help me. And he goes, a Fresa just changed my entire relationship, right, with food and his wife and dating and going out to eat. And and you know, it was just funny how he's like he was already like a five seven A one C, so this guy was not having you know, trouble managing his sugars. It was just, he was going low so much and getting mood swings that that was contributing issues to his life. And he didn't realize that. Um, yeah. So he said, my wife is much happier. He goes, I feel the same. He goes, my wife is much happier. I go, that's what matters. <laughs> yeah, really, so. right? Yeah, well, that's 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 what I like about Afreza. And like I said earlier, the, the issue of stacking of injected insulin is, that's, if you're somebody that likes to be in tight control of your diabetes, I think stacking becomes an even bigger issue because like I said, you get very angry when you see a high blood sugar and you just will do anything that you possibly can to stop it. But the reason I like Afreza so much is with intermittent fasting and that's, you know, the listeners of this podcast are obviously that's, you know, something they're very interested in is when you take that Afreza, you know, usually I take it when I start eating. I, I actually, my eating window is, it depends on the day. It's three, four or five hours, depending on the day. But I may take a Fresa twice during that eating window, maybe three times, depending. But I like the fact that when I close my eating window, I know that that fast-acting insulin is out of my system. And I don't have to be... I really hate it when I close my eating window and then 10 minutes, 20 minutes later, here I am having to eat a bunch of glucose tabs. And I just get so frustrated because I just started fasting and I'm already eating. So a Fresa has totally eliminated that problem for me. And I think... Especially, you know, anyone who's on insulin, whether it's a type one or a type two, you know, that that to me is one of the key benefits of of a Fresa. So I appreciate that aspect of it tremendously. Um, yeah. yeah. And just to build on that, like especially those that aren't intermittent as much as as little as you are, um, you know, when you go to bed, this is one of the things I saw in one of our trials. People did not get their dose right before bed, whether it's injectable or, or inhaled, and they went high all night, and that's twelve hours time and range you're missing. And so being able to just to dial yourself in an hour or two before bed can change how you wake up in the morning. Because what I've realized is when you go to bed, how you wake up high, and then you spend your morning trying to get back in control and through lunch, and it's a frustrating start of your day. And so that's, that's one of the beauties of a Fresa, right? And I said, if I did my next trial, we did this in the kids' trial we're doing now, give, give, make sure you, if you're above 180 at night, take, take a four unit an hour before you go to bed, right? Just bring your sugars down a little bit more um, safely because you're not going to hit this bottom out three hours later when you're sleeping, which is what people worry about. Um, but, but, you know, if, if you're going to bed at 10, take, check your sugars at 8, 830 and, you know, try to dial them in a little bit more before you go to bed because you, you can safely fall asleep, hopefully, and not worry about a low midnight. But, but that, that is one of the challenges people always balance of nocturnal hypoglycemia and is that the basal is at the mealtime kicking in four hours later. 
that's probably the billion dollar question no one's ever been able to answer yet. But my suspicion is more of the nocturnals are injectable insulin from carrying over mealtime carrying in the middle of the night as opposed to basils. Yeah, you know, sometimes the basils will bottom me out, but but you know, we've shown in thousands of patients in those trials. It's not as prevalent as we see. It's it's small, but it's it's really the I think the mealtime contributes that extra tail in the wee hours of the night. Yeah, um, no, that's so, that's that's a good point. Yeah, the nighttime, yeah, going to bed high um, to take that afrosive before you go to bed. That's a great idea. I didn't I didn't even think about that. I I close my eating window early in the day, so I, I I've eliminated a lot of that. But for people that eat dinner, especially, you know, that could be a real problem. So that's smart. Yeah. Um, so if we can, maybe we can pivot over to just some more of the logistics around Afrezza. I mean, and I told this when I did the episode, the prior episode on Afrezza, which I'll link up in, in the show notes to here to this episode. But I was talking about, you know, I talked to my endocrinologist and she's a great endocrinologist and Afrezza just seemed like, I, I don't, I think I might be her only patient or maybe I'm only one of two now that's on it. Um, she's very much up on technology and everything diabetes. And I just want to know, like, from your perspective, why do you think Afrezza is so misunderstood by endocrinologists or not more widely pre prescribed? I think there's a couple challenges there. One, um, a lot of thought leaders come from academic centers, and they're, they're all been trying to work on these pump algorithms with AIG systems for type 1s and CGM and time and range graphs. And that's where a lot of people spent the last decade or so, their, their energy. And Afrezza's last major trial was done probably in 2012. Um, and, and most of those patients were outside the U.S. So there's very few top academic thought leaders who had any clinical experience with the product from all of our clinical trials. And so even though the data is published and it was out there, they weren't part of the trials. They didn't see the results for themselves. And they don't always keep up on everything as much as we think they do as, as top academic centers. Um, and so they don't have a lot of firsthand real-world experience, either from the trials or clinically after it got approved. And as a pharmaceutical industry, it's been very tough to access those centers because they are closed to the industry many times. So if you're not doing research, you're not doing studies, you're not top of mind there. So that's one big problem. I think it's a, a, a structural problem of healthcare that, you know, and so when you see a Fresa, a lot of our adoption has been in private practice doctors because they allow our reps in, we can educate them, they can get the clinical experience, they do the prior authorizations, whatever it takes to help their patients. That's why they're in business. That's why they're in private practice, because they care. Um, where other people are employees, they don't care sometimes. I hate to say that, but you know, you, you use your doctor sometimes just to get refills as opposed to really getting something of value out of them these days. And, and so then we've got this concierge medicine mindset and healthcare and everything else. But I think the first thing is that that structural. The second thing is, you know, mankind didn't prepare the education of the market for a disruptive treatment. When you think about, you know, compared us to Tesla. Tesla had to build an electronic car market, and what that meant is they needed to build charging stations. Instead of building a gas station, they built it into a mall. They had to repair shops. They had to change that, the, the mobility of how do you fix a Tesla to come to your house instead of you driving to a center. Right? They had to change everything around an electric car. Um, I think a little bit of a Fresa requires a little bit of that kind of change behavior that we just, as a company, didn't have the money to educate all the doctors and change them, and therefore, we had to just build a completely different model which is sometimes what I've debated is the problem with diabetes care, the model of care um, or the reimbursement of care, because doctors don't get paid a lot of money to do what they do every day. And, and therefore they got to see a patient every seven minutes. And you know what? The last thing they want to do is change your insulin uh, because a Fresno requires or any, you know, requires a new education, a new prescription, a new teaching. Um, you know, it's inhaler. They're like, Oh, I got to teach them how to inhale. I mean, it takes two seconds. I don't know. Who. 
I just got my dose, right? I didn't have to worry about carrying a needle. Um, it's not that hard. Uh, but for them, it's change. And I think there's a lot of that behavior that we as a company and our previous uh, partner did not spend the energy and time preparing the market. So that's some of what suffered from there. Um, and, and so we have about 3,000 doctors in the country who write a Fresa. They're on our website. So if you go to afresa.com, there's two resources there. A find my doctor. So they're doctors who prescribe. You can find them. They generally know how to deal with it. Um, and what I find, unfortunately, is a lot of doctors who patients go to have never written more than one or two patients. And they're probably not the right doctor because they don't, they're not going to teach you how to dose it. They're not going to teach you proper inhalation. And they're not going to help you access it by writing the right prescription or the reimbursement process. And so we've really set up an entire system to help patients um, get access to care, meaning uh, everything from writing the right prescription the right way to the selection of the right box to match your dosing to the fulfillment at the, at the PBM and, uh, and the pharmacy who, you know, often there's conflict that, you know, no patient should pay. If you're commercially insured, you should pay more than $15 a month. That's our current copay card program. Uh, and if you're commercially insured and it doesn't get covered right away for some reason, we give it for free up to 90 days, 120 days. And, and I think it's four months. And the reason we did that is within four months, you should be able to get another A1C, show that your lows are going away, show that your highs are going away, um, and that you're in better control. And then an insurance company will pay for it if you're getting better control. Um, and, and so, you know, because unfortunately in healthcare, you're hearing a lot of noise about PBMs right now. You know, they, they, the competition pays billions of dollars to PBMs to block other competitors. So that's why you only have Fios for Lungev or Novolog or Humalog. They block the competition. And unfortunately, Afresa suffers from both of those fights between Novo and Lilly. Um, you know, we're the third party that doesn't have any impact on either one of those guys. Uh, but they're paying billions of dollars to CVS and Express Scripts. And, and, and therefore, all the insurance company wants to do is document that you've tried the preferred insulin. And we're okay with that as a company because, you know, 80% of people aren't at goal. They want to get the goal. And we're okay as long as you've tried the cheap insulin. That's, if it's working, great. But if it's not working and you need a new tool, you should have access to our product. We will always fight for patients for that right. Um, and that's really what we stand for. So when you go to a doctor who prescribes a Fresa, they generally know our reimbursement process. They generally know how to help you get it. And that's a lot of your listeners are having any frustration. I've had patients have to fire two or three endos just to get the one to write a Fresa, which makes me sad. Um, but we've created a telehealth solution. So if you go on our website, there is a um, you can book an appointment, go to the telehealth provider. I think it's like $25. I'm not even sure. And they'll be able to prescribe a Fresa online. They'll give you the lung function test. We'll mail it to your house. And you can do everything virtually. So don't waste your time fighting your doctor. Like, we'll do it. We'll, we'll do the conversion. Um, they'll make sure it's medically appropriate for you. And that, that's why we launched that, because we got so tired of hearing doctors say, I don't know how to prescribe it. I don't know how to write. I don't know how to, to teach you, blah, blah, blah. So now we've created a whole virtual way for patients to access care. And there's a couple other virtual clinics. There's one in Manhattan. There's one in San Diego. They're all starting to build up. So we're trying to work with them more so that patients don't have to fight their doctor, right? They can go online, book their appointment, and get their product appropriately. And, and so that's, yeah, I think over the next couple of years, that process of access to care is going to get easier live for patients. Uh, but uh, find my doc on our website, afresa.com. That will give you the copay card. It will help you find the doctor. And if anyone has any problems, reach out to Mankind. We'll, we'll get in touch with a local rep and make sure we find someone to help you or go educate your current doctor if that's what's necessary. So. Um, we, we, we don't want your doctor to be the barrier, but they are a barrier in many cases. Yeah, and actually, I wish that I had had the benefit of listening to this podcast or speaking to you before I tried getting 
my my script build because I spent a lot of time and I am a very very persistent person I don't think anybody else is more persistent than I am in trying to get my prescriptions filled and I was just thinking to myself if I were not this way there's no way I would have a Fresa right now and I'm really glad that you created those extra resources to help people because it, it, it was so frustrating and even someone like me who is as persistent as I am was thinking about just giving up because it was it was hard so yeah. but, but as soon and, as I found is it a Fresa assist as soon as I found a, a, a Fresa assist, assist yeah. I, then yeah. I was just off the races and they they were fantastic, available all the time to help me, made a lot of calls for me. I mean, I've never had such good customer service. So that, you know, that, that's a great benefit. Thank you for saying that. We spent a lot of money making sure people have that access. And I think it's important that, you know, it, it's important. And and, uh, and just to, if anyone's going to a local Walgreens, um, we've created a program for Walgreens that within 24 hours of Walgreens should be able to get a present. So if someone says it's not in stock, always try the Walgreens and they should be able to get it 24 hours later. Um, for those, okay. I guess, doing it in New York, but uh, that, that's one of the things we did this past year. Yeah, that's helpful. Cause Cause that, I that, that's the, yeah. yeah. That, that's the next frustration. The pharmacist has never heard of it. They don't know which one. They order the wrong box. And, you know, once you get it in stock, now it's easy on the refills, but the first one is the biggest headache. Um, and and uh, But then, you know, once they get it, they'll start ordering it, and then it's easier. They keep it on the shelf now. So if you fill it with Walgreens, they actually automatically ship it, so the next time you go there, it's already there. And usually within a day, you can pick it up, so... Um, that's been much better for certain patients. Okay, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, when I was looking to get a Fresa before I, you know, put two and two together to call a Fresa assist, I went to CVS, I called my CVS Caremark, I went into a CVS. I mean, I was just going to all different pharmacies and they were like, what is a Fresa? We don't have it, you know. But if, if, you, if you have a Walgreens, it sounds like that's a much easier way to go. Or the, I do the mail yeah. with Sterling, so that helps too, that's easy. Oh, yeah. Starling's been great. And, and uh, on that note, uh, just for your listeners, a Fresa basically comes in two pack sizes, 90 and 180 count. And if you're really on a maintenance dose and you're type 2 and you only need 12s, then get the 90 count 12 box. But one of the flaws at launch was people couldn't figure out how to which box to pick. And so we created now 180 count boxes, and that's going to cover most type 1s and most type 2s. So the real question then is, do I need more fours and eights because I'm going to dose, you know, tighter on a type one or I need, do I need more eights and twelves? And so we have, you know, two of those boxes. And I always say type two patients, the eight, 12 box, meaning eight, 90 cartridges of eight, 90 cartridges of 12. That's really meant for the type twos because that's an average of 20 units a meal per day. And that's going to help them maximize their, their cost benefit in terms of uh, how many refills in one box versus two boxes, et cetera. And the type ones are generally going to want more fours and eights because they're topping off the highs and, and, and you know dosing uh, intermittently. So you know typically try to get the 180 count four eight box, and uh, that, those are how I designed it. Then there's a four eight twelve multi pack, and a lot of people wind up with that, but then they wind up with too many twelves or too many fours. So, so um, you know try to get that prescription. You may not get it right the first time, but on your refills, try to try to get the, the what you're seeing yourself dosing for. Yeah, thanks for that. That's a good that's a good tip because I, I had a lot of trouble trying to figure out how much what dosages I should get and that would have that that's very helpful information. And I just want to be respectful of your time um, and I want to cover off a couple things that I think are important to people, which is you talked about if you have commercial insurance, most people can get it for fifteen dollars. That's what I luckily have you know been able to do. But what about people that don't have insurance or they're on Medicare or Medicaid? How how do they pay for it? So, so most Medicaid's will cover it through a prior auth because it's actually free to the government. So we, we give a lot of that rebates back to the government. Um, on Medicare, that there's still a little bit of frustration there. We have about 
one out of five patients are on Medicare. And so it's always hard to predict. So I always tell someone, if you're on Medicare, you should go ahead and prior off it and try to get it approved. If the out-of-pockets are too high, there's actually a way that we try to help where you can go online, you challenge the copay, and they'll try to lower it. And if that doesn't work, we actually have a cash pay program where we try to sell for $99 a month. Um, I think a bigger box is $199, then we fill for three months. So we try to get the cash pay there. We're actually running a pilot for um, Medicare in the South right now for $35 a month. We're just trying to lower that price. So, so we're doing everything we can to work with Medicare to make that a better solution. And, and uh, it's been frustrating because the government launched this $35 access for all Medicare insulin, and they would not cover Fresno in that. And I'm like, why not? They deserve coverage as well. Um, so we're still working with CMS and trying to push that through. Um, and there was a Build Back a Better America bill with Biden that was supposed to pass this, and that didn't get through yet. Um, so, so I think Medicare will get better each year. Um, but but that there is uh, there is coverage in Medicare. It's just it's hit or miss, unfortunately, for those patients. But um, LIS definitely get covered down the you know thirty five bucks, forty five bucks. But our average Medicare patient that is on the product is paying forty five dollars a month, roughly. Um, so that's 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 not far off of what they're paying for injectables, from what I can see. Um, and then if you can't afford it, we have uh, you know at the end of the day we we, we put you in our program. We'll challenge the system. We'll try to get your free drug. Um, doctors will have samples. So you know again. If someone really does not have access or cannot afford it, reach out to me. I will make sure personally they get it. So. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's really good. And honestly, if you don't have insurance, I think the $99 or $199 a month, whatever it is, for your health and for your better blood sugars is completely worth it. So, I mean, I, even if I somehow lost my insurance I, and I, I, you know, I was uninsured for, for whatever reason, I would absolutely pay out of pocket for it. It's, it's worth it. That worth it to me. So and I pay seventy five dollars for my Libre every month, and I'm like, you know, an extra twenty five dollars for my friends, I would pay in a heartbeat. So, yeah. um, you know, that's what we tried to do is bring that down, and we'll continue to watch that uh, opportunity. Um, but you know, again, access to care for me is important for patients, and uh, I've seen it firsthand as a pharmacist. So we try to make sure that all those programs meet patient needs. Unfortunately, a lot of your doctors won't be aware of them, and that's where if you get into a Fresa Assist, they will help you. So, so make sure you, you get there as a patient. Fantastic. Um, and then before we wrap, maybe you can just speak about the future of Afreza, any trials that you're doing that you want to talk about or anything anything you want to close with, really. Yeah, um, I, I think uh, just in general, we're, we, we got approval in Brazil. We're doing studying in India. We're looking at Europe. So we're trying to get this to help patients around the world. Um, within the U.S., we are running a pediatric trial. So we are studying in kids from 4 to 17. Um, it's, it's going very nicely this year. So that, that should wrap up sometime next year. It'll be a six-month endpoint. And uh, we'll have one year of safety data for kids. So, um, you know, but Fresno has been approved now eight years as of yesterday. So we, we had a little celebration yesterday. Um, so it's been on the market for a long time. We cannot wait to help kids. Um, we are running a head-to-head -head trial against injectable insulin. So that'll be the first time in a long time that we've run a standard of care competitive trial. And now that we understand the dosing better of inhalants than we did 10 years ago, we're really optimistic that this trial will show some meaningful results for patients. Uh, who switch off injectable insulin to, to this. The, uh, the other trial we're doing that we're looking forward to those results, it's, uh, we should have them in the fall, is we call it the ABC trial, the Afreza basal combination trial. And so that's just a small pilot trial where we keep you on your AID pump or we add Afreza, we use your pump just for basal only and use Afreza for mealtime, or we switch it to Traceba Afreza off your AID. And we're really trying to see what's the best basal combination with Afreza versus what you were doing, right? Is it Traceba Fresa works great. Is it the pump plus a Fresa? Do they both work great better than the pump by itself? We're going to find that answer out. So number one question we get, 
and it's a pilot study. If it looks great, we can study in a bigger trial, uh, but at least it gives some preliminary data for patients and providers to react to and understand, you know, how do you dose, how do you convert the basal part of that equation? Uh, because on injectable insulin, your basal bolus is like 50-50. My guess is we're going to see on inhaled, it's probably 60-40 is your ratio of basal to bolus. So it's, it's, it's likely to go up a little bit higher when you use inhaled versus uh, basal. And that, that's a lot of the stuff we never got right in our trials that we're now learning. Um, so those are the two new trials coming, and we got another trial in Indian type 2s. Uh, but but otherwise, uh, you know, we oh, the one thing I had to talk about is Blue Hail. So we are adding Bluetooth innovation to our inhaler. So it's a little device that clicks on the back. It can track your dose, the time, the administration route, like how you tilted the device, things like that. So um, that's getting ready for hopefully a, a launch next year. We had to reprogram it because of all the chip shortages. So <laughs> the supply chain didn't help us on that one, but we're working through that right now. Uh, but that'll be something really cool because my dream is to be able to help patients, you know, make, you know, did I take 90 yellows and 90 blues and how do I get just in time refills to my house, right? So I really want to show we can make your life better over time. And that's my goal. That, that's a fantastic innovation and that, that'll be very helpful. I mean, I take a screenshot on my phone every time I take a Frezza. Sometimes I forget. So that, that would be very helpful to have something like that to remind yeah. you, like, yeah, that's when you took it and that's how much you took. Okay, great. <laughs> Because, so, yeah, you know, before you live with diabetes, you're like, oh, people think about this all day long. And you realize, well, I was feeding my kid. I took my dog for a walk. Did I take a four and eight? You're just a human being. You don't track every single thing to the minute. And was it 15 minutes or 30? We're all the worst guessers about what time we did what when we look back. So um, it's, it's a lot of work to be perfect. And, and that, that's too much work for me. Uh, but but uh, got to be close enough. Got to keep your sugars in control. Live a long, healthy life. And uh, we're here to help support patients. And, and for those that, um, you know, we also just recently bought another product called Bego, and a lot of type twos use that in Medicare. So it's a, it's a little pod you use. It's a basal bolus pod, and uh, we purchased that last month. So we'll be, we'll be launching that uh, as mankind here in July. Uh, so that's exciting as well. So people, we can do another podcast on type twos and Vigo if you want later on. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. And thank you so much for all the work you've done. And I really can't sing the praises of Afreza enough. And um, I just, I really appreciate your time and all the work you're doing. Well, thank you. And thank you to your listeners for taking time to listen today and uh, keep doing what you're doing, guys, and drive change for diabetes and other patients in the future. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please email me at fastlifewithdiabetes at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.